Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. I'm Janet. I'm Helen. I'm Mel. And I'm Ivory. <laughs> hello, hello. We are back with another episode and a very special guest to close out Women's History Month. Here at Asian Boss Girl, we are dedicated to supporting the expansion of representation of AAPI voices. This includes expanding beyond our own experiences, in this case as cisgender women. The timing of this episode is significant because March 31st marks International Transgender Day of Visibility, a global awareness day that celebrates the accomplishments of transgender and gender nonconforming people and sheds awareness on the work still necessary to achieve trans justice. Today's guest is Ivory Aquino, a transgender Filipino-American actress known for portraying Cecilia Chung, a transgender activist in the docudrama When We Rise. Ivory is a powerful advocate for trans children and transgender rights. Her story is one of self-awareness, conviction, and purpose, and we're so excited to speak with her today. Please welcome Ivory Aquino to the ABG podcast. Hello, and I just want to commend you for when you said my name, you said Aquino. Yes, I feel like a queen, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You, you, you are, have made me you feel are. like a queen thus far. At the same time, I want to acknowledge that the pronunciation is Aquino. Like, oh, Aquino. Okay. Yes, but don't you love conversation? Because when you have open conversation, you receive what is being gifted to you in the moment, and then you can have feedback, and then we learn more about each other, and that's how connections foster and grow. So I'm very excited to to venture into this conversation with you and get to know more about you as well as you getting to know more about me. So ooh, yes, I'm I really love, excited. That was a beautiful I love ooh, when you ooh, intro- ooh, <laughs> ooh, the feedback, <laughs> the acknowledgement that you are a queen, but no. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and I no. Love it. Right? In improv, there's and yes. And I think and no can also be positive because you're acknowledging and you're also fine-tuning. So it's a win-win. Oh, yes. I love it. <laughs> I love it. 
Thank you so much, Ivory, for being on this Ah. podcast today. We are so excited (laughs) to hear your story and to share it with our listeners, honestly, and to learn so much about you. Let's kick it off by asking, you know, what was your childhood like? I know you grew up in the Philippines. What was Mm. young Ivory Aquino like? So young, unbridled Ivory Aquino was and still is a free spirit. I remember just playing with my classmates on the playground and you know it, w- it was it was during break time and we would be running around and and play acting and I remember immediately gravitating towards playing playing the girls playing playing the females and um up until I think about I think it was when I was eight years old we were playing and it was the first time there was something that happened where someone called out my playing a girl and in their eyes I wasn't supposed to and that was the first time I took in that wait what what is happening um I'm playing we're playing what what why why are why are you giving me looks so that was the first instance where I allowed any sort of judgment to to color my experience. Hmm. Um, and looking back, I'm glad that happened because, you know, now in hindsight, when I think of anything that may be deemed negative, it's so satisfying when you've come come out the other side to look back and see that journey and that arc and realize that any sense of self-love we have now is really born from those moments so i have nothing but appreciation for that for those moments so whoever teased me back then and bullied me i have so much love for them because it has really brought me to this place of deep and expanded love for myself and in turn love Mm. for my community and my friends and my family and my tribe um so yes going back to that time um it was it was that push and pull of of joy and then of questioning, of joy and of questioning. And I would say that went on and off for, um, for, for several years. And I was about 10, I think, when I came out to my parents. Um, and at this point, I was very much insulated because of all the teasing and the bullying. It was safer for me to to not be as expressive, to to start building that shell that I felt at the time protected me and it did serve me. So I was about 10 in the fifth grade when the, you know, when you boil water, right? We all know this happens when you, bo- when you, boil water you put a lid on it that lid is gonna start to 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 vibrate it's, it's, it's not it's gonna, gonna, gonna want it's gonna vibrate Building yes up, it's not yeah. gonna it's not gonna want to stay on so at that point there was so much inside me that i was holding in um i was having crushes on boys and i i i went they sent me to a quote unquote all boys school you know even mm. because i was assigned male at birth and that's mm. how that's how I was I was perceived. And so I was having crushes on boys as as everyone does. You it's it's 
it's such a beautiful thing when you see someone and you see the beauty in them and you start having a crush. And I was having that at the same time. There was shame that was already attached to it because mm. you, you, you were being teased and bullied and any sort of recognition of those feelings, I think, would in my mind, intensify the bullying mm. if I acknowledged that or if I allowed myself to express any of that. So when I was 10, I remember um, telling a friend of mine, she's actually, a, a, she's not a blood sister, but she's she's my sister. Our dad's, her name is Kat. Oh my gosh, Kat, if you listen to this, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so Kat's dad and my dad were classmates like all the way back in grade school mm. oh, wow. and um i don't I, I don't mean to to detract from what i'm sharing now but just a little bit of of history so so you all can feel the depth of my connection with cat um my dad when he was 9 his his father passed and my grandmother wanted my dad to have the best education that they had access to. So he was he grew up in a province called Concepcion Tarlac in the Philippines. And they sent my dad to the capital of the Philippines, Manila, on his own. Granted, he stayed with relatives, but his mom, my grandmother's my, my grandmother stayed um in their hometown. And my dad, as a as a kid, went to this big city. Um and he he felt he felt all alone. I found out that when he went to school and got connected with um, his classmates, they remained lifelong friends because he considered them his brothers. At my dad's funeral a year and a half ago, it was so beautiful on Zoom to see his brothers be there in support of him, and that's how I found out actually through them uh, that my dad felt very lonely when he first moved and that they really took him in and were very supportive. And it's reminding me of what you're doing, actually, because in essence, what you're doing with this podcast is creating a sisterhood, right? It's not a blood sisterhood, but it's an energetic sisterhood. And for me, that is that is as valid as a blood sisterhood. So my, my dad had that brotherhood growing up. And th his best friend was, um, and still is, my now godfather, Toto Malvar. So my ni um, Ninong is is uh, Tagalog for godfather. So my Ninong Toto, I remember, um, was telling me that, I think in high school, when they moved into that realm, um, the teacher recognized their last names. And it, my, my grandfather and... Um, Tito Cat's grandfather were part of of the group that allowed independence for the Philippines. They were yeah, they were both yeah. general like yeah they were um, generals. So the teacher in this classroom noticed noticed uh, their last names and asked, oh, um, I'll say it, I'll say it. I, I imagine how it was. Ototo. Well, I, I guess I should say it in English so everyone can understand. So <laughs> essentially, the teacher was like, Toto, your um, your your last name is Malvar. How are you related to to General Malvar? And um, my Ninong Toto stood up and said, "He's my grandfather, sir." And everyone wow. was like, "Wow, wow, wow!" And then um, the teacher saw my dad's last name and said, "Oh, Hermie." Um, 
I see your last name is Aquino. How are you related to General Servillano Aquino? And then my dad stood up and said, he's my father, sir. And looked at Ninong Toto and said, aha, I beat you, huh? <laughs> and then that's how they, they really bonded because they, they had this fun ener- energy of, of, of competition, but, mm. but love behind it. And that's how they really got close. So when, when, when we were born, their kids, we were immediately connected. Like as soon as we were born, within wow. days or ha- however long it took for us to connect, I Kat is uh, a couple. She she was born a couple of years ahead of me, so she was there as my big sister when I was born. So energetically, that was in mm. place. So fast forward from that time, and from here, um, backtracking to the time when I was ten, I reached out to Kat and said, "Can I talk to you?" And I opened up with her at the time that I I identified as gay because I didn't have the language to name myself as a transgender woman. I knew that I was attracted to boys. And because at that time I was being, I was labeled as a boy, even though I knew I was a girl, the language that I had was, okay, I'm gay. So that's what mm. I shared with Kat. Mm. And mind you, she at this point, she's like, what? 12? <laughs> She's like, what do I do with this? A lot to take on for a 12-year-old. Oh yes. A lot yeah. to take on. A lot to take on. So, understandably so, and rightfully so, she she sought guidance from her parents. Mm. And and then my um, her parents, my Ninong Toto and my Ninang Baby, then spoke with my parents. And um, so they, they had this very supportive environment amongst them even though they didn't necessarily understand. And I remember, um, I, I think I was just at home. My, my, my parents, because at this point, I, I did not know that at this point that they knew because the it went from Kat to my, my godparents and they communicated it to them. So when they talked to me and it was, I am so fortunate and lucky and blessed because they, even though they didn't understand, they were coming from a place of love. Mm. So I, I, I have the deepest appreciation for my parents and how they chose to navigate it the best they could. Cause I, I feel, I feel that even with even with words that come out or even acts that come come from parents that we may not necessarily be in alignment with, it comes from a place of love. For instance, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I feel when there's pushback to one's coming out, it's because there is the idea that someone who who is gay or who's part of the queer community is is in for a life that has persecution that has discrimination Mm. and any parent wants their child to have as a life that that is free from those things so there was pushback for my parents in the sense that they um we we went to to counseling together and Mm. there was there was some input from from those sessions for me to at that point, not associate with my friends who also who I knew also were were like myself. 
and and see this ties into a core thing with the queer community which is not understanding or fear of the unknown i feel that that ties into that because they had a little bit of the fear of the unknown right. they had no experience in in raising a child who was queer um i i was i was i was the eldest and so what what i was told then which was to not associate with my queer friends was the best they could do as we talked about earlier when you have a pot when you put the lid back on that lid is bound to vibrate and and want to be and and mm, what is off, inside yeah. the pot wants to be freed right mm-hmm. so i gosh from 10 to it was several years because at 16 yeah it, it then from 10 to 16 i quote unquote was in the closet mm-hmm. um and it was a very lonely place were your parents trying to seek therapy? I, I think you mentioned it was like therapy, right, with you? Yes, to yes. To try and like undo the situation or try to understand further and help you become the individual that you want to be? I would say that they didn't necessarily want to undo the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I recall, the the options that were being presented to me are we want and I'm endeavoring to recall, and I feel that what transpired then was that um, the the therapist was laying out that we want to be sure that you have space on your own to, and maybe I'm sugarcoating it. I have no idea. And honestly, for myself, it's irrelevant, but I feel that the sugarcoated version probably was we want you to have space on your own to figure out and know yourself without any influence. Mm-hmm. And you know what? On paper, on paper, that may work. However, we are social beings. And I feel that we gravitate towards people not by accident. We gravitate towards people because there is, uh, there is something that we see in them that is part of ourselves. So it was no accident that I gravitated towards the other kids who, who I knew were queer. And like I said, we didn't have language to identify what our labels were. But energetically, we we were we were we were the very feminine ones playing in the playground. We we enjoyed expressing ourselves and 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 being affectionate with each other as sisters are so so i knew that this was my tribe back then and i'm mm. thankful actually that that early on there were there were people in in the, my school envir- environment that i was able to identify as part of my queer mm. community because I've heard stories of of queer kids growing up and feeling alone without a therapist saying that they have to disassociate, disassociate from a group because they did, there were no groups. There wasn't any group that they could feel they were a part of. So Ivory, I just want to get clarity. You did share yes. that. Um, so there was a group within your school that um, shared your same like um, your same preferences 
So it was, it was, it sounded like, um, that was a beautiful story, by the way. Thank you so much for sharing oh, how you came out. Yes. Um, one thing that stood out to me was the fact that your kind of coming out was not, it wasn't intentional to your parents, right? It was shared with your friend and then suddenly it got passed to your parents. So I'm sure it must have been really challenging to kind of not have... Um, the reason I'm taking time to to reflect is I think part... I don't, and I don't even know if I should call it a survival mechanism, but I'm noticing part of, part of my mechanism, let's just say, is I'm so focused on my present moment and what and what is ahead of me that there are past events that are almost blurred for me. Mm-hmm. And I think I had to do that out of necessity, mm-hmm. um, however, early on, because, you know, it, things have been label, labeled as trauma. And I think my, my, my natural inclination has, has always been to look at a glass half full, at, to look at the, mm-hmm. on the bright side. Um, so if I'm going to endeavor looking back, I, th- I, I, f- I think there was an element of me telling Kat and whether it was, whether it was spoken clearly, maybe it was implied that there was a desire or maybe there was also an assumption. Now, now I aim not to assume anything because what do we say? Like, well, what is it like assuming makes an ass out of you and me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't want to make an ass out of anyone. Um, so m- whether it was assuming or whether it was implied or whether I was hoping that she would tell my godparents and then would tell my parents because I understood their dynamic. Um, I think once I said that out loud, I knew, I knew that it was an inevitability that they would come to me. And that, th- and that that was actually easier. It was yeah. easier for them mm-hmm. to come to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love that you're seeing it in such a way. And thank you for so beautifully articulating. I have the same sometimes when I reflect back on certain things in my past where it's sometimes, sometimes it's so far away that you're like, I don't really know exactly how it happened, but I know the rough kind of circumstance. And what you described for us, I feel like we can very much sense how there's this, um, like you said, this tension, but at the same time, you were in a community that supported you the best that they could at that time with what they knew. Absolutely. Um, so that's definitely coming through. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for Absolutely. sharing Absolutely. Aw, you're welcome. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swathers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're such a great storyteller, and you're saying how, like, um, your story about uh, from 10 to 16, you told you told us the lid was back on, right, on the pot. What, I want to hear about what happened when the, like, the lid finally came off again. Like, what happened after 16? Oh, oh this is a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was in high school, um, yeah, because, like, around 10, 11, I was in grade school, and then in high school, which still was... It had the same, mostly the same students with with some some additional students, um, and it still was quote unquote an all boys school. Um, this most of the queer the queer kids who I had to disassociate from, in my eyes, they were thriving because in grade school we had uniforms. In high school, we we are we had a dress code rather than a uniform. You know, it was pants. It was like a shirt with a collar and sleeves the the hair had to be a certain length and what have you but my queer friends they were living it up they were growing their hair as long as they could and then and then you know would would use gel or hair styling products to keep it up and then the pants were very form fitting and the the colors were vibrant and so feminine and alive and I was seeing this around me from a distance and and you know we were very cordial with each other mind you there uh, there wasn't any animosity or any of that like there would be hi hello and to their credit they there was an understanding that whatever dis disengagement there was had nothing to do with me personally but had everything to do with the circumstances because I wasn't alone there were there were other girls and, and, and boys, because at this point, some of them identify as gay. And there's, let me count, okay, in this, in my high school, in my class, there's six, there's six or seven. I'm trying to remember there's one more. How so big was yes, your class? So out of, out of about 400 students. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so, so, so there, there were, there, there was a section of, of 40 students and there were 10 mm. Ten sections, so there was about four hundred. So out of four hundred, there's seven. There's seven of us that are trans women, and the rest identify as either gay or gender nonconforming. So from from a distance, I you know when we pass each other, there would be the, the eye contact and the acknowledgement, but there wasn't the the day to day. Hey, girl! Like I, I was, mm-hmm. I was missing out. I I, mm-hmm. I was missing out for the first. Um, two years of high school and then the summer before junior year I'm oh my gosh everything in me was like I I I can no longer keep the lid on I remember going to the the the, my parents bathroom because it was more it was just more spacious and there was a beautiful dresser and plucking my eyebrows Mm. that was oh you didn't shave it that was my first oh I, I yeah (laughs) <laughs> and wasn't it 
how did you feel like when you did had that for the first time? Like, oh, when I'm I shaved and I saw and saw like hair on my skin, I was like, oh no, this is terrible. I should have plucked. Never <laughs> shave. <laughs> Thankful. Well, thankfully, the the other the other girls, because you know, even amongst my queer tribe here, who identify as gay or nonconforming, we call, we call each other sis, sisters, girls. So amongst the girls, I the reason I even knew to do that because they were doing it, and I was like, mm. oh my gosh, I mm. I want that too. Mm-hmm. So in the summer, I grew my hair out. I think I put highlights in. I got like really form fitting. Um, jeans and like a form-fitting top and I remember the first day of junior year I walk in and the classroom was um, normally the classrooms are like level but for some reason the classroom that I was in that year it was stacked it was like this it was you enter here right I mean let me let me um, describe it for 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 our listeners so you enter and then so there's a there's a level there's level concrete that you walk through but then behind it it's it's like a it's like stared it's like tiered so mm-hmm. i enter and then there's a middle uh, there's a middle aisle that you walk through to get to the to get to the the seats so i literally i walk in i think right before class starts and i kid you not as I walk in, I literally hear a collective <gasps> a collective <laughs> gasp of shock. <laughs> and as I'm walking through that that middle aisle to get to the seat in the back, it's like it was this endless it was this endless gasping of <gasps> <gasps> Wait, it's because you were dre- like you had, because I know you I, had your because I presented brows plucked because I presented very differently. Presented. Yeah, yeah. From okay, the last okay. day of second year of 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 sophomore year to the first day of junior oh, year. Okay, so right in and, the middle of okay. And that's how I came out as a Oof. as a trans woman, mm. as a trans girl. There mm. and because there was still no language, there was still no language um, back then. But that that was it. That was my that was my coming out as a trans woman at wow. sixteen. That's very visually powerful the way you've described it. Yeah. Like there are no that words, was... but you just came oh. like through visual and through how so you change beautiful. your identity. Oh Thank my you gosh. for sharing <laughs> just like the context and the backstory and taking us through this whole journey. I mean, I think that is so important, especially as part of this podcast. And for anyone out there who is, you know, going through their own questions with their own identity, you know, who might be, you know, needing some just just other people's stories to hear. Thank you for sharing that. It was very, very powerful. My my pleasure. Thinking back to like young Ivory, was there anything that she needed that could have made things easier for her? Any advice that you would ooh, could ooh. give to someone who might also be going through something similar? You know what? I want to I want to tie in um, what you're asking with my coming out as a trans girl because mm-hmm. I I do recognize that when one looks back, right, on the past, what matters really is how you tell that story in the present. Who, who knows? I may have walked in and felt so much shame inside. Who knows? That's irrelevant. But mm-hmm. as I'm sitting here, I truly recollect that I walked in with the biggest amount of pride ever in my heart. Mm. And yeah. whether, whether that it's accurate or not, what matters is that is a story I'm choosing to tell now. Mm. Because it may very well have there may very well have been shame, and they're all and they there 
may very well have been the largest amount of pride. Who mm-hmm. knows? But what I know is this is the story I'm telling. And recently, I, I came across a quote, and the essence of it is, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase, but the essence of it is, how fortunate am I to have the power to rewrite my childhood? Mm-hmm. Because it's true. It is true. The story that you tell yourself now about your childhood determines how empowered you are right now. I could have told the story about the bullying in a very different way. But because of where I am now and all the love I feel in my community and the love I am feeling from you, how could I tell a story other than what I told in terms of having so much love for those who bullied me and not have integrity with who I am now? Mm, so yes. so to, to answer your question um, in terms of what could make it easier for Little Ivory, I feel we're doing it now. We are Aww. making it easier for Little Ivory by telling the story that she deserves, yes. which is a story that she was and always will be unconditionally loved, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. When there are bullies, it's, it, doesn't com- it, it only comes from a place of vulnerability because that is what those, that's all that the bullies knew to do. There is a cycle of pain that they unfortunately got looped into that they themselves continued that cycle of pain because they didn't know any better. And it takes consciousness and intention to break any cycle. And I am choosing, I have chosen and I'm continuing to choose to be involved in a cycle of love. Mm-hmm. And we are continuing that now. And you are allowing me to be in this cycle with you and with the community that community that you have grown with your podcast. So thank you for making it easier for Little Ivory. Thank oh, you. Oh, no. Thank oh. you so much. That was so beautifully said. And I can imagine someone who's in their boiling pot with a lid on face right now, hearing what's on sort of the other side where you are fully full of love and acceptance, even for the bullies that might be hurting them right now. It's like they probably want to get there as fast as possible. And you're inspiring Oof. them too. So, Oh, wow. I'm literally yeah. getting goosebumps. And uh, since we're in the topic of bullies, uh, I I walk this world now and I I see people as either being the love that they are or yearning for the love that they are. So the bullies are yearning for the love mm-hmm. that they are. They're yearning for that. They're in pain. And and th- that's it. If we're able to I invite I invite you, I invite whoever's listening to see through the eyes and in the context of love. If love is the barometer and if love is that point where that that central point from which people are either close to or far from, then it's easier to walk this world with compassion and empathy and the desire and the power to contribute. Yeah, thank you. That was so beautifully said, Ivory.
we want to learn more about your acting career. It's like, <laughs> we were reading your bio and it's amazing. You've been in a number of different roles on stage, on television, in film, but there is one particular body of work that we want to talk more about, which yes. won the 2018 GLAAD Award for Outstanding Limited Series and also made People Magazine's one to watch and the Hollywood Reporter's The Next Big Thing features. Um, so let's just give some context to our listeners and background to set it. In May of 2016, the Obama administration passed Title IX, protecting the rights of transgender students to use the restrooms and locker rooms that match their gender identities. And one year later, in 2017, you got your big break into network television in ABC's docuseries When We Rise playing Cecilia Chung, a trans woman and advocate for the transgender community and those living with HIV AIDS. As timing would have it, When We Rise's release coincided with when the Trump administration revoked those protections. And this left, um, you know, a lot of transgender school children very vulnerable. So this role that you played came at a very significant time. And we'd love to hear you tell us a bit about what did it mean to you to portray Cecilia's story as a trans woman at this particular time in history? Ooh, Cecilia. Huh? I love Cecilia. Yes, thank you for, for allowing me to talk about this journey of my craft of acting. We already had talked earlier when, when I was little, actually already role-playing back then, right? And then the most precious moments as a child also were were when I was with myself, I would go under a table and play act. And so that was always in my heart. That has always been a passion. And the reason I, the reason I moved to New York was to pursue my acting career. I have the most loving, supportive parents. I moved from the Philippines to the United States as an exchange student. So I was very fortunate that my my parents had the means to do that for me. I was an exchange student in high school. I, I did an extra year of high school as an exchange student. Oh my God. And this is, I love, I love telling cute stories. And this is a very cute story. Um, I went to, um, and I promise you, we will get to Cecilia because Cecilia is part of my heart. Um, I, when I was an exchange student at Immaculate Heart Central in Watertown, New York, we, we were back to uniforms and I had to wear pants, right? I had to wear pants and a necktie and I had to go to the freaking boys, boys restroom because that's how it was. Mm. So I, I remember... Um, I was about to go into the boys' restroom, and I, I think the reason I I had the fortitude to, to be able to do that while I was in that school is because I was sent to an all boys school growing up. It wasn't um, it wasn't jarring for me to be in the same space as boys in a restroom, right? Even um, when I was a junior and a senior in high school, I was I was very I was allowing my, my, my femininity to, to express. And I still had to go into the same restrooms as, as boys. So, and, and, you know, these were, these were kids that I grew up with. So there was that comfort level in terms of, okay, we're just in the same space. And I realize now, oh my gosh, don't you love these moments when you have realizations that come up in the moment? I realize now that the reason I had fortitude to go into rest, into, um, 
into a, a boys' restroom when I was an exchange student in high school is because growing up, for me, I didn't feel the animosity when I entered that space. Does that make sense? I mm-hmm. think a big part of wanting to be able to go into the restroom um, of the gender that you are and identify with is to be able to just take care of your business and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And th- how can you feel comfortable in a comfort room when there is animosity or there there is any sort of antagonistic energy that is that you are feeling towards you, right? Yeah. So it's a I'm sacred gonna, place, yeah. Yes, it, it, right it is. For... You want it, 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 it's a, it's called a comfort room or a restroom, mm-hmm. right? So I'm I'm toggling back and forth between these stories now. I feel I feel now the reason why. It, it it's because of that. So I walk into this restroom, and then there was a boy there who saw me walk in, and then immediately he looks at me and says, Oh, the girls' restroom is is next door. And I didn't have any words. All I could do was slowly lift my finger and point to my necktie. And slowly I saw his eyes understand. Slowly he uttered, oh. And then I used the restroom. Mm -hmm. And I have fond memories of that story because his O was an O of understanding. I'm realizing now and not not one of animosity. Mm -hmm. And I also realize his sense of understanding came from my entering the restroom without any fear because i had i had i had no fear using the boys restroom when i was in high school mm-hmm. right and so at the end of the day it all boils down to i want we want as a community to be able to enter spaces where we feel safe, mm-hmm. that is the bottom line. And the whole issue of why I feel very strongly that a trans girl in this environment we find ourselves in now to enter a restroom that is not of her gender, the reason that that is unsafe is because Adults, adults ha- are coming up with policies that is creating a, an environment that is toxic and unfortunately bleeding into the minds of kids that tells them that someone who is trans doesn't belong, period. So I feel that that is, that is a deeper issue at hand. Right, it, if we're talking about restrooms, it it boils down to me growing up, eager to go through my transition because I wanted a fair chance, just like everyone else at life, to be able to walk through the door, live my life, pursue my dreams without being stared at with judgment, mm-hmm. and that's the same thing. So now I'm going to circle back to Cecilia. Cecilia Chung is a pillar in our community because she has devoted her life to giving voice to us and to ensuring that we have safe spaces. Cecilia, like myself, is an immigrant. And as I'm telling this story, there's so many, there's a few parallels that are going to be happening. I'm going to be talking about Cecilia's journey and my acting journey 
and how it all coincided and coincides. So Cecilia was an is an immigrant um, from Hong Kong. She also um, studied abroad in Australia. So there's that element. So I grew up in the Philippines. I was an exchange exchange student in the U.S. So here we're talking about Cecilia and and Ivory's journeys. And at some point, Cecilia moved to the U.S. in San Francisco. So same. We're now in the U.S. Ivory's in the U.S. Years later, right? The difference is that Cecilia ended up homeless at some point because of the level of misunderstanding to which her family and mom, the way they processed the information that she was queer um, was, was, was taken quite differently. There was, mm. there was, and I don't know the details of it because when I come across someone else in the queer community, I have no desire to, to dig up any trauma from their past. Mm. So I know in a general way that um, it was hard for her family and for her mom, who she's so close with, to understand. And so at some point, she she had to fend for herself. And she mm-hmm. did in, indeed end up homeless. And um, at some point, she con- contracted HIV because she had to survive mm-hmm. um, and had to do what she had to do. Um, and the... I want to address, as I'm telling this story, the correlation of love and sex and the queer community. What happens to, of course, I'm not, I'm not putting a blanket statement on everyone, but I feel what can happen and what has happened is because you, because some, someone from, from the queer community comes out and there is, there's a wall that suddenly is put, right, from the people you expect to love you the most, there is so much shame and pain that occurs that there is a desire to feel love from anywhere, from, mm. from, from anywhere will do. I want to feel love. I want to feel love. So that's why there, there's sexual connections and encounters that happen that are not necessarily um, the healthiest mm. because, because your body, your being wants to be loved and suddenly you go from having a family to being homeless or not having a family. Your, your being wants to experience that in any way it can. And so I feel that from a place of fear, when you come from a place, when one comes from a place of fear, wanting that love, there is, um, not, I wouldn't want to say a cycle, but what comes out of that may not necessarily be the healthiest mm. HIV, I feel that happened because of 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 that and being shunned and not supported by the government in healthcare. So that is the the epidemic that that occurred. Mm-hmm. That Cecilia had to to emerge from, and she not only emerged intact as an individual, she emerged as an individual with a mission to contribute and and fortify her community. So she, she ended up being um, commissioner and, and the head of, 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 of health in, in San Francisco. She, she really rose to the ranks and she devoted and continues to devote, to devote her life to the community because of the adversity that she experienced. So that was what I came across when I got a breakdown to play 
her in When We Rise, I saw a breakdown is a description of a character, right? That mm. I got from my agent. I see this breakdown. I see that she's Asian American. I see that the role is asking of her to be played from her her teen years into in, into her forties because she that 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 was um, that was w- how old she was when she became commissioner and mm. and was was uh, an advocate for the community. So I'm like I'm looking at this breakdown. I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to pl- to play her and actually also age into her as a, an advocate for the community. I could not believe it because I had never, first of all, seen a role that also was a trans woman. Because mm-hmm. up until that point that I read that breakdown, I had I had already moved to, to New York. I, I, I was doing theater. I was doing a lot of Shakespeare. I wouldn't say I was fortunate enough to be perceived as cisgender, but my being perceived as cisgender allowed me to play roles that were cisgender and at that point right. no one no one in really in my immediate circle in New York knew when 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 I would have those dagger stares of judgment and persecution my being wanted to transition and be perceived as cisgender just so I'd have a chance mm-hmm. and not be judged when I walked out the door yeah. so so that the only reason that even happened is, is because of that me personally, however one is viewed, is freaking beautiful. We're we're we are all human beings, but we're not one. We're not we're not one cookie cutter version of one thing. Mm-hmm. The reason we have such a beautiful planet that we live on is because of diversity, yeah. Right, we get to travel to different places and experience new cultures. That's freaking exciting. If you had to go to like the other side of the world and be in the exact same city, what is the point? You know, <laughs> so diversity is what contributes to to the beauty in our life. So, however one presents or however one is perceived, that is beautiful. That's why, that's why when I see these things coming up about um about drag being perceived as a threat the only reason the only reason that's perceived as a threat is because when one comes from a place of fear and fearing the unknown of course walls are going to be put up i feel our viewers are so open minded anyway so what i will then invite our our viewers to um take on if you so wish is to have an open mind when coming across someone who may not be as open-minded and invite those people to, rather than coming from a place of fear, come from a place of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Because For if there's sure. someone who's close-minded, who comes from a place of curiosity, then they will have that curiosity to ask about someone they may not have encountered, to ask a drag queen about, what she's gone through and how, why she's chosen to express herself in drag, and they will they will, may very well come um, hear that the this glorious, beautiful drag queen is expressing herself in drag because she had a dark childhood that was full of judgment as well, and drag allows her to spread joy and 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 to 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 be colorful and vibrant, you know. And then the person who who was close minded can see from a different light and see that, oh my gosh, 
this person is coming from a place of love and how can that be a threat? How can that be mm-hmm. a threat to our children, right? So if there is curiosity rather than fear, which Cecilia had, Cecilia didn't come from a place of fear. She came from a place of love and curiosity about her, her journey. She was mm-hmm. curious about her journey in the sense of if I can step into something greater than myself, I am curious what I will see on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And look, what she, look at what she has achieved for our community. So I had the opportunity to audition for a role of this magnitude And everything in my being knew, knew that I was destined to play this role. Did the studio approach you knowing that you were also a transgendered woman? So the studio did not know that I was a a trans woman. And, and, you know, we're in a safe space here, right? Janet, Mel, Mel and Helen. Sure. Yes. And all the listeners listening in. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) We're in a safe space. Yes. And also... Um, if you, if you, if you, and may I, may I offer feedback as well? Oh, for in the, sure, please. In, in the yes. feedback out of, of course, out of love and out of expansion for all of us here and, um, and in the community. I think I heard, I, I heard um, you men- mentioned transgendered woman. Mm-hmm, I just want mm-hmm. to offer a clarification that in the community we use, we use transgender woman because. Got it. Yes, because, yeah, and I, I'm so happy to see your face right now. Viewers, I hope you could see Helen's face because she is receiving my feedback oh, with sure. such I love mean, because it's going to be out, oh, my... out of curiosity. Yes, I think there it's always see? a learning experience. And, there you and, go. and I'm glad our listeners are hearing what is the correct term to use so that they can use it going forward too. You know, exactly. I think it's very important to have these conversations. Yeah. Exactly. And I am so proud of you and thrilled for you that you are in this space of curiosity and love and knowing that I'm coming from a place of love. Because yes, like um, it, transgendered sometimes has that element of it being put upon. But mm-hmm. which it's not, right? This is who we are. So mm-hmm. when, when I say I'm a transgender woman, it's who I am. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I want to address something here that I, I don't believe um, we've, we've experienced in our conversation, but I've experienced in the past couple of weeks. When I hear someone say, hey, guys, or hey, hey, mm-hmm. yeah, hey, hi, guys, hey, guys, I, I, understand, I understand that it's something that is commonplace and is taken on as addressing the collective at the same time. And I am so thankful for my trans friend who pointed this out. I was in a space in a room a couple of years ago. We were doing a reading of Chonbury International, um, Chonbury Hotel and International Butterfly Club at Williamstown Theater Festival. We were, I'm mentioning that play because it's a play by my dear friend Shakina Nafak. She wrote this play about a community of transgender women. The Chonbury International Hotel and Butterfly Club is about a group of transgender women. So we were in that space doing this reading and one of the girls, because someone had said, hey guys, one of the girls was brave enough to come from a place of love to share with the room that she and there are other Um, girls as well, who feel excluded with the term, hey guys, because it's, and and the room received it. And we realized, oh my goodness, just because it's something we've heard our whole lives, it doesn't mean that um, we should keep doing, right? It doesn't mean that it's something we should keep saying or keep doing. And now we have the choice to consciously understand how someone in our community is feeling and be supportive of her by using language that um, that aligns with her. So now mm-hmm. I just say, 
now instead of saying hey guys or hi guys I say hey y'all hi y'all hi everyone yeah. hey everyone oh my gosh honestly yeah. that's actually something that I, I think I might have mentioned on this podcast before that that's something I've also been trying not to say I think same, it's been same. so normalized within our just daily dialect where I'm like well not everyone is a guy and when someone calls yes. me hey guy I'm like I'm not a guy <laughs> so I, I have been saying more like hey y'all but I'm like am I southern no but yeah. <laughs> y'all just comes out more naturally now so it does, right? yes yes I think that's a very good point to make yeah um, yeah just to make people feel more included mm-hmm. yes and it's empowering to to learn something and and be conscious about wanting wanting to do something new if you feel that it is in service of the community and sure. um I'm actually I'm fine with it me personally I'm fine with it like if I hear it I'm cool with it and then I realized okay I'm cool with it and there is something I noticed within myself of a comfort level. If I'm comfortable with it, I can coast through my entire life being comfortable without necessarily making a contribution. So Mm -hmm. I decided, wait a minute. Yes, I'm comfortable. And I choose to consciously, when I can, step out of my comfort level from a place of love, speak out so that someone can consciously make a choice for themselves whether or not they then themselves want to be of service to their community. Um, that was a huge thing for me because once I once I was perceived as cisgender years ago, I must admit I was in a comfort level. I was in my comfort zone. And once I got cast as Cecilia Chung, and to answer your question, the creatives did not know that I was trans. In fact, nor did the casting directors in fact, mm. I did not hear back a week later after I sent in my tape. And I wrote a note to casting. Thankfully, um, there's this website called Actors Access. And in there, if it's set up a certain way, one can um, write a note that the, the casting director is able to see. So I thankfully, it was set up in a way that I was able to write to casting. And I a week later, about a week later, I wrote them, I said, Thank you. It I, it was um, an honor to be able to audition for Cecilia. And I just want to make sure that you know as well that I am also transgender. I think it was that same afternoon I got a call that I got a call back. And in my head, I'm thinking, I wonder if, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. So I did the call. I did the call back a, a few days later. I think... I think my first initial audition was four scenes. The callback had a fifth scene, an additional scene. I did the callback, and back then you could it was still in person um, with Marcy Phillips, an amazing casting director at ABC. Um, and then a few days later, I find out I was up for network approval, and a few days later, I found out I got the role. I found out I got the role in my immigration uh, in my immigration attorney's office. Cause at that point I was going from an artist visa, an O one visa applying for my green card. And Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to share this with you. What is it today? It's today. Today's Tuesday, right? So mm-hmm. last Wednesday I, I went into immigration. They got my biometrics, my fingerprints, my signature and my photograph. Cause I'm now on track to getting my citizenship. Incredible. Yes. So I'm so excited to share that with you. So yes, and we're talking about like Cecilia being an immigrant. So yes, I'm 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 getting my citizenship and I think it's gonna happen this year. 
My friends told me it's happening in record time. Like they said, oh, when we first sent it in, it took us months. I literally got this notice for biometrics like a month after I sent mine in. I sent my my application 2323, February 3rd, 23, 2323, <laughs> right? That is so, incredible. That, so I'm so excited. Yeah, that's so, so cool. It sounds like hearing you play the role of Cecilia was such just a monumental role, not only for the industry and the entertainment space and the need to showcase this person, but also for you as someone who is a transgender woman. What are, what are some roles? Yeah. What are some roles that you're looking forward to playing? Because this sounds Ooh. like the role that would have like, it's just so perfect for you. What else do you, yes. are you looking forward to? And, and, and it is perfect indeed, because it allowed me to meet Cecilia in person. Mm-hmm. Honestly, roles for me or jobs they're amazing to be able to do. At the same time, I see them as vehicles to connect. Hmm. And that was meant for me in order for me to meet Cecilia. And I'm thankful for that role and for that show because, as I mentioned, during that period, I was I was going from my O1 artist visa, applying for my green card. And that show and that role actually was a big contribution to why mm. I was able to get my green card. So oh. um, ev- ev- everything is, is, is connected, right? I'm in a space now where my heart is so full because I, I truly feel empowered. Um, a few months ago, Batgirl was shelved. I was cast in Batgirl a few months after my dad and my grandmother passed. This was in, in 2021. Um, my dad passed July 31st, 2021, and my grandmother passed October of 2021. And then a couple weeks later, uh, I was on set for for a show. That's when I got the call telling me I got cast in Batgirl. And I was crying tears of joy. It was, it was the culmination of, for me... It was a culmination of my journey because the platform was going to be on a level that was truly global and mainstream. It was it it was a DC film with uh, an Afro-Latina Batgirl and you have a trans her trans woman best friend, right? So it was going to be on this scale that would reach so many in terms of them seeing how normalized a trans person is how normal a trans person is. So that's what I I was excited about. And um, this is tied into your question for sure. I was excited about that as well because the casting director had enough vision and enough trust in me to ask me um, if I could be in support of of, of finding the, the kid who would play my younger self. And at that point, they they had hit a dead end. They they said we might end up having to cast someone cisgender, and we don't know if it would have to be a cisgender boy or a cisgender girl. And I said, hold on. Before you entertain any of that, let me do what I can because I realized if a trans kid, a trans girl, was given this opportunity, if Little Ivory was given an opportunity to be herself and be in a film that would reach so many people being herself, 
that would change Little Ivory's life. Mm -hmm. That would Mm -hmm. change the life of whoever was cast. That would change the life of any trans girl who would then see this film and see themselves normalized on the screen. Absolutely, So, So I was fortunate enough through my network, through through my friend to be able to find um, a trans girl who was also Filipina mm. who ended up doing filming her scenes in the film. And th- the disappointment I had when Batgirl was shelved had in large part, was in large part because of that. I'm mm-hmm. not giving anything away in terms mm-hmm. of plot, but I am sharing that in the film, I what I love is the fact that you have this friendship and nothing about my being trans or Alicia's being trans is talked about because that's Mm -hmm. what I have with my friends. We live our lives, Mm -hmm. normal lives, without having to talk about our being trans because our being trans is enough. Our being trans Mm. is is valid enough. And that's what I appreciated about the script. Man, we are just as bummed that that is not going to be aired. But hopefully, hopefully it does come back. Or I'm sure there are going to be many more roles. I'm so happy with where I am now because I only have love for Warner Brothers and love for for David Zaslav, who's the the CEO of the company who shelved it. I only have love because I trust in the bigger scheme of things, that things mm. will align. That's such a great attitude. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm also human. When that happened, I was devastated. Because, wow. and here, this is the biggest gift of Batgirl in my life. On the surface, my this is my biggest dream, right? On the surface, this is my biggest dream. Um, I was signed on for for two other films, you know, like for, so like the biggest dream suddenly was shattered, right? So on the surface, you have the biggest dream that's shattered. And when I look back on that, the fact that I am, that I am here feeling empowered, the, the fact that I feel invincible, despite the biggest dream, quote unquote, crumbling, that is a gift of bad girl. Because Mm if I, if I, I can tap into my self-worth as a human being that is worthy, as a trans woman that is worthy on the merit of my existence alone without the trappings of a big studio film, without the trappings of anything that huge. If I'm able to tap into that, then I truly am invincible. And my facility that I am putting belief in will call in other projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ivory, you have such a beautiful perspective. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that story. Um, honestly, we can. it's evidenced by the way that you share how you interpret outcomes and your attitude that, um, that your world and all the future projects you're going to do are going to be amazing. And we are so thankful that you came on to our show and shared about your history and shared about, um, you know, all the things that you've gone through. I know that listeners out there will be very, um, very moved. And if anyone out there wants to connect with you, is there some place that they can find you online? Absolutely. My handle is ms 
Ivory Aquino. That's that's Miss Ivory Aquino. So it's M S I V O R Y A Q U I N O. That's my handle on Instagram, on Twitter. I believe also. I think yeah. Those are. Someone help me with TikTok. I signed up. Like, I signed up a couple of years ago with that handle, and now I can't get in. I can't get into my own handle. Maybe the and I maybe the universe is saying, okay, you have enough on your plate. So I trust. Yeah. I honestly trust. I'm like in the right time. Exactly. So that, yeah. In the right time. So we can find Ivory on Instagram and on Twitter and sometime in the future, TikTok. Um, Thank you so much again for joining us, Ivory. Your story is beautiful. Um, Listeners, go ahead and reach out to her if you have any other questions or if you want to connect. And Ivory, just to close this out, what is one thing you would like to leave our listeners with? Everyone, we are all reflections of each other. I invite us all to remember that beautiful thing about us. Wherever you are, Whatever you are going through, know that you are enough and that you are fully and unconditionally loved. I may not know you, but I do adore and love you. Mm. That was beautiful. Thank you so much, Ivory. That made my heart sing. (laughs) I'm about to cry. I know. You're speaking to me. Thank you. (laughs) I'm speaking to all of you. 100%. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Ivory. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support, or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dear ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at Asian Boss Girl. If you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out our link tree in our link in bio and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. In addition to our main show that releases every Thursday, we now each host mini shows that release on Tuesdays. Tune into... No Dumb Questions with Mel, Living Well with Janet, and Spill the Baby Tea with Helen. Each week we release a new episode of one of the shows right here on the Asian Boss Girl feed. So be sure to tune in to us on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Thank you so much, Irie Aquino. And listeners, until next time, we will catch you on the next episode. Bye! Bye.